Psalm 121. Psalm 121. We will read the whole psalm, reflect particularly on verse 1 and 2, but in the context of that whole psalm. Psalm 121 and reading from the ESV. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel who neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for what has happened so far. We thank you for your ministry among us through the teams that have sung, reminding us that our responsibility in the context of storms is to be still and know that you are God. While the storms rage, they will continue to do so why are we going through difficulties and challenges of life? May we be still and know that you are God. We ask therefore, our Father, this morning, as we reflect on this psalm, that if any among us, and that would be all of us, going through difficulties of life, and we wondering who we will help, sometimes even when the human beings, vessels that you help us with are disappointing us, we ask the question, who will help? May our eyes be lifted, not to the hills, but to the heavens where God dwells. We plead that we will look up to God, that we will cause ourselves to trust him, to depend on him, because he alone is faithful. So whether things are good or bad, may our trust, our faith and our dependence be in you, our God and our Father. The one who keeps us, the one who guides us, and the one who guards us. Oh, protect us, our Father, from all elements. Protect us at all times. Protect us in the immediate and in the time to come. Protect us from within and from without. Protect us, our Father, from things that we know and things that we don't. We ask our God that you do this through your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, it's not a secret, but it's been, again, in the context of our local church, been that season that we would call a frowning providence, a season that has caused us many a time 
to shed tears, to mourn with those that have been bereaved. It's literally been one funeral after the other. But one of the challenges I've had was that this Saturday or this Wednesday, you are told, okay, the Kabambas are traveling to Lusaka, they have a funeral, lost a brother, barely two days. You're hoping that when they return, you quickly rush there. While that funeral is going on, you hear the Mutinis have a funeral. While that is happening, you hear, oh, the Kapambwes have a funeral. Kapembas have a funeral. The Milapos have a funeral. The Lienas have a funeral. It's been one funeral after the other. In certain situations, consecutive in one family. The Mutini is being one. I think they have had probably four in a space of probably three months. And in situations like that, you ask, what's happening? Where do I get strength? Who will help me? Sometimes even as an elder, as you visit with such families, you do not know what to say because they have had a funeral after the other. That This funeral reminds them of the loss that they've experienced in the recent past. And you ask him, what would be the sufficient words? What would be the words that will minister relevantly and effectively? Well, the psalmist invites us to some of the words that we may want to speak to such families, but words for all of us. Those of us that have grade 12, the results are out. We're celebrating, they have six points, they have 12 points, they have 16 points, and if they are geniuses like some of us, five points. <laughs> and you're wondering, university, here you come. And you're asking the question, so how much is it North France? And Dr. Zimba tells you 21,000 per semester, and you're thinking, are you saved? <laughs> The, the son or the daughter is saying, you asked me to study. I did my part. And you ask them what you want to study and you're hoping they will say preschool teaching. That, that's not to say it's bad. We, we need many of them. But we're just thinking, that's affordable. And then they say to you, medicine. And you're saying, are you okay? Do you know how long that is and how much money is involved? And you look at your salary, you are paying loans. And you ask the question, who will help? The psalmist is saying, there is one. Probably wrestled with a sickness. It's not going away. You've tried this and that. Maybe yourself or maybe a family member. You do this and it's not subsiding. You're asking who will help. Your parents or you keep somebody. You're trying them to show them the way of the Lord. You're doing your best to instruct them in the scriptures. The more you do, the more rebellious they become. 
and you're asking, who can help? The psalmist is calling us to one. Your marriage may be going through a turbulent season. Things are not well. You pray for your wife or your husband, it looks like it's getting worse. You reach a point you probably want to throw your hands in the air and say, I am done. You're asking, is help coming? The psalmist is pointing us to one. Psalm 121 is among the psalms that are called psalms of ascent. The sounds of progression and going upward geographically from a valley to Jerusalem and the mountains of Zion and those that surrounded the city. That they'll be seen from a distance and as you climb up, you're getting closer to Jerusalem. And in that context, the psalmist is asking, is that where my whole help is coming from? It is a psalm for pilgrims. A psalm for those on the journey. A psalm for those walking that at some point they step on a stone and it's not as stable. They're about to slide down and fall. And the psalmist is going to say there is God. That will ensure that every step you take as you trust in and on him, you will be safe. The pilgrim psalmist contemplated his journey through the hills to Jerusalem. It's a journey that was also covered with serpents or snakes and the scorpions. It's a desert land. Dehydration and all kinds of challenges as he walks to the city, he's contemplating and that which overwhelms him are the challenges. And in that context, he asks the question, where will my help come from? The design of the psalm is such that every word, as you read it, and every phrase is calculated to strengthen and encourage our faith. That as you read this psalm, Charles Spurgeon spent most of his time writing devotionally, but also as sermons and also exegetically on the Psalms. In fact, part of his big uh, segment of writing is here. In his writing, he acknowledges that my temptation was to censor what to say because every word is worth spending time on. So I encourage you Spend time going through difficulties, challenges of life, wrestling with sin, and things are not working. Reflect on this psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? He answers the question. Now you read some commentaries. They treat verse 1 as a statement. But verse 1 is rightly an interrogative statement. It's a question. He's not saying my help comes from the hills. That's why he's looking and contemplating, is that a possible source for help? No, it's not. If that's not the source of help, what is? He answers the question, 
in verse 3. But as we reflect on this psalm, I'd like us to observe several lessons, statements of encouragement. And one of those, it is what the question itself is affirming. What is the psalmist communicating about the saints, about Christians, as we go through difficulties of life? Well, one and combined affirmation is this, that this journey of our Christian faith will have difficult times. There will be challenges. We will lose loved ones. Some of them from our perspective, untimely. Some of them would wish they had lived a little longer. Some of them would be the very core or heart and pillar of a family. Some of them, every day that comes when we put them to rest or when they pass on, will bring those sad memories and good times. And the psalmist is saying, we will have those times. We'll have times when things will be tough. Met one saint, it was payday, that said to the Christian, that a good job, it's not a bad job, good job, well paid. And I met him and he was looking gloomy and very sad. So I wondered what the problem was. I said, look, it's your payday, it's ice cream time. Uh, there is a hungry lion. And he looked at me and he cried. And then I realized something is wrong here. I said to him, what is it, brother? Well, let's sit down and talk as pastors do, even if you have no solution. Let's sit down and talk. And we sat. And he said, look, here is my salary. Here are my needs. And all of them are critical. My salary is only able to meet 10% of these. And everyone is looking at me. They are waiting for me to provide money. By fertilizer. If I don't, I am a bad son. Well, my sister is asking, the son has gone to graduate uniforms. The husband is a helpless case. If I don't, I'll be a terrible uncle. Oh, my wife's mother is in hospital, and there is a bill to be sorted out before she's discharged. If I don't, I am a terrible son-in-law. Now, pastor, what do I do? Salary is good, the needs are many. And all I could say to him at that point was let's pray. Let's pray because there is somebody. There is somebody in heaven. Without mentioning names, talking to a family, sometimes you say these things uh, without paying attention to them, written grade 12, results come out, flying colors. 
The family is thinking, where are we going, where are we going to get the fees? A phone call comes. Some family member says, don't worry. From this day to the end, I will pay the fees. Now, if you don't cry when such news comes, I'm not sure what will make you cry. The reason is we have somebody who responds and helps us. So the question is affirming. There will be difficult times. Now, I just need to make sure here, all of those who are baptized were here from hope. Here is good news. There will be bad times in your Christian life. Amen? Amen. There will be. So if you're thinking after baptism, everything rose, kura, bashete, I have good news. There will be bad times. In fact, some people, when you go home, they will ask and say, so, and you slap them and say, you see? There will be tough times. But when those times come, and you're asking, where will my help come? Even in Dollar Baptist, the sending church might say, too much. I think tamunfwa. There is one in the text that is given to us. And because there will be bad times, the other affirmation that is obviously connected to this, we will need help. We need somebody to help us. Every human being at some point need help. That's what the psalmist is telling us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Because there are problems and obviously I do need help. We all need help. We all need powerful, efficient, constant and very present help in times of trouble. We do. We do need help, help by way of being encouraged to soldier on. Many a times we will need practical help. No bread, we're hoping somebody will say, Here it is. We're hoping that when we do pray, the Lord will say, Here is the need met. So we need powerful, we will need efficient. We will need constant and very present help in times of trouble. We need help because of the terrain of our journey. It's going to be turbulent sometimes. It's rarely smooth. Not come across yet of any Christian who says it's been smooth sailing. It's always rough. There are always storms. There is always thunder. There are always issues in our Christian journey. And we will need help because the terrain will be rough. We need help because we are weak and deficient. We cannot meet all our needs. Can't meet them. So the text is affirming there will be bad times. 
There will be times of tears. There will be times of uncertainty. There will be times of pain. The times even from within family, the people you expect to behave responsibly, they will behave irresponsibly. There will be those times. And because there will be those times, we will need help. There are people in life who even when help legitimately and from a right attitude is offered, for some reason they think they don't need it. No, it's okay, even when it is not. I remember driving to school, uh, my children to school, so found uh, three girls going to Kansenshi uh, primary and secondary, and it's raining. And I have children on the vehicle, so I'm not going to kidnap them. I stop and I say to them, jump in. And one of them is excited, thinking, yeah, yeah, Lord, thank you. The other one pulls him and says, no, don't. No, we are okay. And I look to this young man and said, why are you lying? Come me. So they do. And after we reach the gate, then they say, thank you. I say, for what? Now you would have been soaked to the bone and say, I thought you didn't need this. We all need help at some point. And the psalmist is basically saying, when that need comes, there is one source to whom we can call. We can go and make our case known and you'll be available. That's the affirmation. But secondly, what actually is the question? What actually is the question? The question, as is put in the New Living Translation, help is simply this. I look to the mountains. Does my help come from there? So when I see these mountains, these high elevated places, some of them Mount Zion, set apart and holy mountains, is that where my help is coming from? And the answer in the text is no. Sometimes we look to creation. We look to the created things as our ultimate source of help. And the psalmist is not saying don't go there secondarily, but that must not be the focus, that must not be the objective. Our help does not necessarily come from the mountains. Our help does not primarily come even from the highest of standing in society. We've had enough experience to know that even the most promising, the most reliable, the most vocal, and most able to help, many a time, they don't. To bank primarily on human beings, even the best of them, as our ultimate source of help is setting up ourselves for disappointment one day. And the psalmist is basically calling us, don't focus on the mountain. Don't focus on objects of creation or creatures. Focus on somebody else. So the question is, I look up to the mountains, does my help come 
from there? And the answer is no. These mountains were holy mountains. In a chosen nation, such as referred to in Psalm 133 verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forever. It is such mountains he is looking at. Mountains such as in Psalm 84, 87, 1 and 2. On the holy mount stand the city he founded. The Lord loved the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. It is such mountains. He's asking, is that where my help is coming from? It is to these mountains he's gazing upon when he asks the question, does my help come from there? There were sacred mountains. There were religious mountains. There were mountains probably human beings revere and worship. It is mountains that the woman in the Gospel of John or in the Gospels will ask, this group worships on this mountain. We worship somewhere else, but what's the right place? The question the psalmist is wrestling with is whether his help comes from the highest places, will his help come from the created and imposing even sacred objects? And the answer is no. Gives us the answer in verse 2. You will notice that as he responds to that question, he responds to it individually, then later on responds to that question corporately. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot sleep. So yes, my help will come from there, oh, but you're not excluded. You're not excluded. Just now, let me personalize this. Where will my help come from? Oh, but guess what? Where my help comes from is the very source where your help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from Yahweh. He's a personal God. He's identifying with this God. He's not saying, my help comes from someone else's God. He's not saying, my help comes from this God who is powerful for this individual. My help is coming from, not from some distant deity. Not from some fearful being. Not from somebody with whom I have no relationship. He comes from Yahweh. He comes from somebody I know. He comes from somebody I can call by name. Comes from Yahweh. And in our Bibles, Lord is spelled in capital letters. And if you've paid attention, that's a reference. The proper and personal name of God, Yahweh. In other words, the psalmist is saying this. If you do have a relationship with this God, you have confidence that this your God is your helper. He will meet your needs. If he is not your God, you cannot speak like that. 
you, unless you speak as we heard this morning, the gospel was preached to me. I was shown how to trust God. It was pointed out to me that I needed to repent and believe in the Savior, commit myself to his service. Unless you can speak like that, you cannot speak like the psalmist. My help comes from Yahweh. So maybe you have overwhelming challenges of life and you're getting drowned, you're getting overwhelmed, you're getting immersed, you are choking and you cry out loud, you cry out sincerely, you cry out passionately for God to deal with your situation and is not. Because he's basically asking the question, but I have no relationship with you. Because he's basically saying to you, you've gotten your priorities wrong. You're beginning in the middle. Here is where we must begin. Seek the kingdom of God first. Begin there. Hear all Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your... Let's begin there. If you do not begin there, you can't speak like the psalmist. It's like a wife who has a responsible husband and there is no meal in your home. For some reason our wives assume we always have money even when they know we don't. And the children say, as mine do, or oh, that there is no millimeter. And you tempted to ask the question, so what? There's no millimeter. Huh? Let's go to sleep. And that's all they say. And when you've not responded, then somebody in the home, it's dangerous to mention names. Somebody in the home says, didn't you hear them? Uh, they said there's no millimeter. And you're thinking, yeah, there is a car outside. You can go to the shops. You know what I mean. If this is a reliable husband with a bill, they know that all they need to say, there's no meal meal and water on the stove is boiling. We need meal meal, so do your job. If he's a reliable husband and it's within time, they will quickly dash out. Even if they're angry, they still go out. Even if it's raining, they still go because they're responsible. They know that when we say this to daddy, it will help. Speaking with Dennis and Sheila the other day, that when the children go out with Dennis, they for some reason know he always has money for ice cream and hungry lion. Daddy now it's hungry lion. By the way, when we finish here, chocolate time. When you have a reliable and trustworthy source, you can go to them and say, Help is needed. Help is needed. Remember the story again in the Gospel of John. John, there is no wine. And the, the son to our Lord Jesus Christ goes to him and he says to them, they have no wine. And all she needs to say to the others is just do everything he tells you. Uh, he will do something. Uh, but son, there is no wine. It's somebody she knows has ability and is able and is willing. You know God. Please go to him if you are in problem. Go to him if things are tough. 
Go to him and say, there is this situation according to your scriptures. This is the promise. You have promised to help. Not only here. Go to Hebrews. Come to the throne of mercy. Go to the gospel. Knock. Go to James. Ask. That's the promise. Why are those promises reliable? And why must we hold on to them? What the psalmist is saying, because we have a relationship. Because we can call this God Yahweh, a God with whom we have intimacy and fellowship. So I ask the question, beloved, do you have that relationship with God? Can you truly say, this God is your savior because you've gone to him in repentance and faith through his son. You've fallen on his feet. You've thrown yourself down and have said to him, unless you help, I'll die. And the first point of help is please deliver me from damnation. Deliver me from sin. Deliver me from death. The psalmist speaks of this God as his personal God. My help, I'm not sure you might be saying this, I don't know about you, but my help comes from the Lord. It might be through other people, but he's aware of that. But here he's basically raising this, I know him, I can call on him, I can go to him, I call him by his name. Do you have this relationship with God? Do you? But secondly, in telling us where the self comes from and defining who this God is, well, here's what he puts across to us. He doesn't go to sleep. In other words, this God does not get tired. Now, if, if I were to look carefully among us and just focus on a few of us, some of us are already going to sleep. We are tired. Uh, probably we worked overnight. Uh, if it's Bakalima, he's tired from the 10 and he's just thinking the sermon is long. Can we go home? I need rest. And the minister of the gospel, that's unspirituality. That's what he said. If you are tired, it's unspiritual. Uh, no, that's not true. But here is what the psalmist is saying. You go to this God. Let's assume he's watching over you in the night, in the day. He will never, even once, go to sleep. He will not miss even a twinkle in your life. He's as alert as he can ever be. Listen to the description of this God in terms of his alertness. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel who neither slumber nor sleep. And in verse 3 or 4, he's basically saying, you can focus on this. Stop and pay attention. Behold, contemplate this reality about God. He will never be absent. He'll always be there. Sometimes as individuals, we feel guilty going to God again and again because we think of him like us. 
If you're in the neighborhood, some neighborhoods, these things never happen. In some neighborhoods, they are the issues of the day. So the child comes today, the following day. The third day, cooking oil. And the one who's giving is thinking, <laughs> I only hope they'll not be saying, but because when you're getting tired, even if you have, you may have a 50 kg bag of salt, somebody comes to you four times, the humanity in you already says, okay. Now they are being careless. Surely salt, they can't buy. Not this one. Not this God. You go to him 400 times, he will not get tired. He will not be indifferent. He will listen to you. Are you wrestling with issues of life? You're finding it difficult to deal with the loss that you've had in your life, in your family? There is somebody who helps to lift these burdens. Struggling with sin, there is this God. Relationships, there is this God. Some stubborn individual, there is this God. Overwhelming circumstances, there is God in heaven on the throne. He never gets tired. Does not go to sleep. You might call me, even though to many of you I say literally 24-7. I said to you, look, when you have problems, just call us. My wife knows. Call us at 01. Nobody has done so far yet. Probably your phone and the phone will ring and ring and ring. Because I do get tired. I do go to sleep. I'll wake up at five and then see seven missed calls. And you say, look, at the point I was phoning, I needed to take my son to the hospital. I needed you to help with transport. So we ended up carrying the child on our back and we walked. If only you had answered the phone. Well, the reason is, I get tired. Every human being does. There is one. Every time you will call, it will never go unanswered. It will never be a missed call. He will always be there. He will never say to you, look, I've worked very hard. It's, it's been tough today. Just feel like sleeping. If you're a director, you go to the office, say to your secretary, no appointments today. All of them canceled. And the secretary is thinking, how do I tell them? The director says, that's your business. And go to the office, if you have a chair like mine, push it back and sleep. You get tired. Not God. Not God. He never goes to sleep nor slumbers. But look at this God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything in the universe is his work. What the psalmist wants us to understand, that is infinitely powerful. He has power beyond measure. Such powers can be seen in the fact that he created the heaven and the earth. 
is creator of all things. And the question would have is simply this. If this is what he has done, are you sure your problem is too big for him? If he's able to create the heavens and the earth are with their complexities and all kinds of intricate details with laws that govern them and they are within the system. If that's what he has done, are you sure he can fail to find somebody to deal with your situation? Are you sure he can fail to deal with yours? The psalmist would say, absolutely not. And that's why I'm telling you that's where my help comes from. The psalmist is going to say this. This God who is all-powerful, this God who does not get tired, is actually not far from you. He is right there by your son. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. That's how near he is. He is as near in picture form to you as your right hand. If that's how close God is, the psalmist is saying to us, is not only all-powerful, but is for all the times present. So when you're going through difficulties, there is one source of comfort. God is right there with you. Not only as a passive participant, but as an active one. One that is going to say we together, when things get tough, I will lift you, I will hold you, I will spread my wings over you. I will provide for you. I am right here. Surely this is a God we must go to. So the psalmist is teaching us that whatever the circumstances, the eyes of God's providences are ever open over his people. I'd like to say this again, and this was my burden this morning, simply this. Whatever problem you are going through, whether you've shared with some or not, whether it's been going on for a long time, it is too heavy for you. Here is what the psalmist is saying. The Lord's eye is on you. He is looking and is aware. It's a matter of time when he says to Moses, I am coming down to rescue my child or my people. And as a local church, in thinking partly the series of funerals, that sometimes you don't know how to respond. Sometimes you're not just enough. You're thinking, okay, there is this funeral, burial is here, but there is this funeral, it's from our cell group, oh, but there is another one we didn't go to. You're overwhelmed. Those times when they come and they have been on us, please let's remember that we have God in heaven to help us. Maybe you go to the deacons and ask, how can we help? And they tell you, look, all the budgeted for funds for this particular activity, done. We finished. There is God in heaven. Please, when overwhelmed, let's go to him. And plead not only as individuals, but as a local church. The psalmist
is teaching us that this God provides an overshadowing for his people that screams or canopies and spreads itself out over anything and everything. Listen to the language the psalmist uses in verse 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shed on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Verse 7 explicitly states what 5 and 6 are doing. The Lord will keep you from all, not just some, all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your soul. In other words, he will sustain you. So he is not selective in what he deals with in your life. He's available to deal with all situations and evil in this text is not only evil in terms of sinful, it's evil in terms of pain. Something that brings pain on your life might be sickness, might be death, the absence of fears. All those are difficult situations. And the psalmist wants us to know in everything. May I say this, beloved? Don't go to God only in crisis times. Go to God at all times. We measure in depending on God a little more when things are tough. Fiakosa. Then you remember, oh, by the way, equivalence. No, that's not Christianity. Even when you have your money, you have the resources and everything, you still must depend on God. Somebody has put it this way. We must depend on God. Not only when things are bad, especially when things are good. It is during the good times when we are most likely to disregard God. When everything is just flowing, you know, ju just nice, like a, like a powerful vehicle, you're on the road and there is country music playing. And your hand, you, you can tell even the humblest that could you walk on pride, is just thank you, Jesus. When things are so overwhelmingly nice, you'll probably forget God. Please, it's those times you must always say, God, please you are the provider. Please you are the provider, but the context is that will undertake for us in all times. Day and night make up the whole day. This communicates that the ever-present protection and the help of God never ceases. The thrust of this picture language is that even though hard-hitting circumstances overwhelmingly come upon you, when evil of every type come upon you, the Lord will keep you. There are those who've considered this psalm and have argued that in fact this is a prayer for some. But those words that says the Lord will keep you probably are forceful in this way. Plead that he may keep you. Plead that the Lord will overwhelmingly protect you so that you may as well read it, may the Lord continue to keep you. 
The second of this is shown in the recurrence of the word keep. Keep or keeper. If you're using the ESV rightly, so the NV kind of varies it. Or guard you or watch over you. But it's really the same Hebrew word. And it has this thrust. Keep, 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 and keep. And he repeats it many times. Three, five, keep, keep, keep. Seven to eight, keep, keep, keep. And he's repeating these words in a context of difficult times to assure us that he's keeping us, he's being our guardian, is absolutely certain. So friends, again, those of you that were baptized today, please do know that even though bad times will come, the Lord will keep you. Don't run away from him. Remain faithful to this glorious God. The psalm directed the thoughts of the pilgrim to God as the source of help. It gives assurance that Israel's keeper will maintain vigilant oversight and protect his people. Let us therefore journey to the celestial city with confidence in God as our keeper, as our helper, as our guardian. We're going through a hard time. The burden this morning again is to simply say this. May God keep you. May God help you. May you go to him for his help and protection. You're not saved? Go to him. He's willing to save. Don't go home unsaved. Run to him. He will protect, save, and guarantee eternity. May God be pleased to protect each one of us and to guard us. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.